You are listening to CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Musqueam Territory in Vancouver. This is the Arts Report with your host, Ileana, and our lovely, lovely uh, reporter, Lua. Hi, guys. I'm here again. (laughs) (laughs) Every week. Yeah, and we have a very special guest with us. Uh, she stars in the movie Level 16, a movie we were talking about uh, just last um, week. So really excited to have her on. Why don't you go introduce yourself? Hello. <laughs> Um, Thank you for having me here. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're so happy. We were yeah. honestly like the, we were do, as we were doing like the review for level sixteen. We were right. like, oh my god, we have so many questions. <laughs> or at least I did. Uh, uh, Louis here watched the yeah. watched the movie. I sadly could not watch it, <laughs> but but it was uh, I was very happy with the movie. I did not know what to expect. I knew I knew what to expect more or less. I was like, oh, it's going to be a thriller-ish kind of thing. But like it was mind blowing. I absolutely loved it. Oh, um you. yeah, and your performance was great. Oh thank you so <laughs> much. That means a lot. By the way guys, she plays Sophia if you have seen the movie. Um and yeah, so if you want to place a face to the voice that you guys are hearing that's what she looks like, more or less. <laughs> I swear, like, I didn't recognize her because she looks very different from when she comes Yeah, in the movie, we have the no movie. makeup on, and our, we were made to look, um, you know, like, like we haven't seen the sun in a while. So I get it. It's fine. <laughs> so. And I don't think she's told us her full name. Right. Yeah, <laughs> Selena Martin. <laughs> that's a very yeah, important okay. point. Yes, my name is Selena Martin, and um, I play Sophia in the thriller Level 16. Awesome. awesome. So we got some we got some questions. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the production process? I know it was shot in Toronto. Um, yes, um, it was shot in Toronto um, in a span of I believe it, it was twenty days. Oh, um, that's a really short time. Yeah, for a really long because it's, it's a pretty long film. It's about two hours. Yes, and the director's like an hour and a half. Yeah, I think yeah. It, yeah, interesting. 20 days. It's, it feels very short, like yeah. very compressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I think we were um, in um, the location was we, we had various locations. Uh, one was um, it used to be like a prison, like not a prison, um, a correction um, office. So it was very uh, weird to be in there because you, you saw what like people were in prison you know like past um criminals were in prison so you you saw little things in the jail and um it was very very strange to be in there but it was also very creepy which made it um great yeah exactly (laughs) and then we were also um in a um a mill a past mill and um that was also very creepy because it used to be haunted oh the mill was haunted Wait, I was very you? scared to go to the washroom by myself. <laughs> how did you guys figure out that it used to be haunted? Did the people tell you? Yeah, I think um, when I, I think I went to set and I was like, this feels really strange. And um, one of the crew members were like, yeah, this place is haunted. I'm like, oh, great. We, we have like night shoots here. That's great. Awesome. <laughs> did you have any spooky encounters? <laughs> no, I didn't. No, but it was... Um, yeah, like I, 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 I'm glad I didn't, but at the same time, I'm like kind of like I kind of wanted to see something, you know. I totally understand. That. <laughs> yeah. So about your character, so 
for those of you who haven't, I'm going to try to do as little spoilers as possible. Um, So I'm just curious about your character and how you kind of got into into her personality because she, I feel that there's some kind of balance in Sophia where part of her feels that she needs to break rules, not necessarily break rules, but like be the perfect girl. But then the other part is this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And I feel that she's a very pure soul, but in the beginning of the movie, I got very angry at her when you weren't playing her, like the yeah. little Sophia. Yeah. I got very angry at her, and I actually, part of me was like, I don't want to see this character come back. Oh, wow. And when she did initially, I was like, mm, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm glad or not. And then by the end, I was like, yes. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad Sophia's able to redeem herself <laughs> from the first um, bit of the movie, but... Yeah, I mean, um, I saw a lot of myself in Sophia because, um, as you saw, she's very timid, and um, but very clever. She knows a lot more than the rest of the girls in the school. But, um, yeah, in high school, I was very shy. I didn't really, you know, want to talk. And Sophia's the type of person who likes to hide in the shadows. And seeing what she's seen before, I think she's very protective of her friends, and that's her um, objective of the whole movie is to protect her friends because these girls are like her family you know she's raised with them for 16 years since she was 16 I mean now that she's 16 years old they're like family to her so um, I saw a lot of those traits in myself and um, so it was very easy to connect to Sophia as a character but the mindset of Sophia was definitely hard because I had to search up girls who were oppressed so like searching up girls who were in prisons or um, in labor camps is really hard because these girls kind of grow up and they're um, being broken down constantly because of what they're told to be like and how they should act and how they should dress. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very challenging but rewarding to, to be Sophia. I'm really, really um, grateful for the opportunity. That's really cool. Um, I don't know if you know this, but like I know that most of the girls, all of the girls' names are inspired by old movie actresses. But for Sophia, I, before I knew that, I thought it was a really interesting choice of name. And I don't know. You can tell me if it, I'm right or if oh, there's no, any you correlation. Are absolutely. No, right. not about this. Wait, I'm still. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> my question is still coming. Yeah, my question's still coming. Because Sophia literally means lover of knowledge, right? And like, do you think does the director choose Sophia? for her character on purpose, like that actress, Sophia, because of that? Or is it completely unrelated and I'm going on a tangent? No, no, you are uh, 100% correct. Yes, I yes. knew it. <laughs> and that's, no, Sophia Lauren, um, when I was told that this, like her Sophia is based off Sophia Lauren, uh, is Vivian's based off Vivian Leigh, um, Sophia is very humble, and she, as, as the actor, actually. Uh, she's very humble, and she stood for what she really believed in. And so I brought that um, that trait in Sophia. I love the little <laughs> the little dance since people can't see it, but like she got super it excited really on yeah. being like right. My my um, knowledge of Latin Greek Latin based words, yeah, coming through. <laughs> so weird, yeah. Okay, guys, yeah, me winning going on a tangent, but what worth it? Because that was actually like I was like I'm sure this is probably why, but I'm not sure. But like I want to know. 
I mean, I'm already like I because I haven't seen the movie and I really want to go see it. I'm already having like theories up in my head and I, but like I also <laughs> so I can understand like the theory being confirmed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it when that happens. You're like, yes. And you're like, oh my god, I am smart enough to understand <laughs> this. <laughs> At least that's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing is like um, I don't know if you know a lot about this, but. Um, the director wrote this screenplay about 10 years ago. How do you think it translated to today since it took so long to actually be produced and made into a movie? Yeah, the the crazy story about this was that she wrote this 10 years ago and had pitched it. And the feedback she got back then was just crazy. I mean, people told her that um, a movie can't be made because girls aren't into sci-fi. Wait, what? Yeah, and girls don't watch genre Ten films. years ago. Okay, let's yes. think about this. We are in 2018. <laughs> that was in 2008. How? Yeah. 2008, guys. 2008, someone told the director of this amazing movie that girls don't like sci-fi. Like, yeah. Let that sink mm-hmm. in. That <laughs> sucks, but I totally believe it. <laughs> like, I, I totally believe someone said that. <laughs> But, like, if you think it's 2008 and you think, like, wow, you've progressed so much, and that was 10 years ago, we, like, we've gone nowhere. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's, that's the sad thing. And also another thing that she, um, someone told her was that, you know, the movie was great, but um, they needed a naked shower scene Wait, to what? sell. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. In and, like, how, you know like, how... Well, it hasn't really changed to, like, how we want it to, but I believe after The Hunger Games and, like, other films based off, like, um, like an all-female uh, cast, I think um, things started to change. But back then, um, they didn't really believe a female, I mean, an all-female cast could lead a movie, especially young girls. They can, guys. And <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Just so you know. Yeah, they watch were this mistaken. Movie, <laughs> yeah, I'm very fortunate. Danishka is so smart and just so knowledgeable, and I love to s- to sit down and listen to her. And she's just an amazing, amazing uh, director. And I learned so much on set and off set too. <laughs> That's amazing. And like the themes that they deal with, do you think they are? I think they're still very mm-hmm. um, prevalent. But, like, how do you think it translates from 10 years ago to now? I think, um, well, it, I mean, I think the, the themes are very relevant to today's world in how we, um, you know, tell girls or younger girls how they should act and how, she, how they should dress. And I think it stems from being um, the idea of being perfect, you know, having the perfect look, having the perfect hair. And I think it just breaks down girls um, throughout the years and we become so insecure about ourselves because of these crazy, um, you know, um, traits that the society has put on us to look and to dress a certain way. Um, But since, you know, 10 years ago, it hasn't really fully changed, I think. Um, uh, I mean, it's gotten, I think for me, myself, um, when social media became really big, you got to see like other people's lives and like how things are so picture perfect. And you, um, I think you believe that you, you slowly believe that you might not have these traits. So you try to, you know, change yourself so you could 
fit in better. And I think I'd like to see that change and um, you know, be the voice for um, the girls who either think they're not worth it or they don't have a voice. And now I think the question that we all really, really want to know, is it coming out in like regular theaters anytime <laughs> soon? <laughs> yes, please. That is my first question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're going to have a thea- theatrical release uh, early spring and then mm-hmm. um, nationwide broadcast uh, with CBC. Um, I believe it's in the summertime. Yeah, like a summer movie. I think I want to watch it again, and like now that I know all the stuff, like start like identify all these little traits. Oh, you know, I'm coming into the theater <laughs> with like a notepad, and I'm gonna be like, "Oh, she looked at this thing a little too long." <laughs> you guys are amazing. Question I love mark. that. <laughs> yeah, I love doing that to movies, like reanalyzing everything after I already know it. Yeah, it's, it's hard <laughs> to watch a movie when you're an actor just to like not, you know like look at little certain things and um critique yourself but uh how was watching it actually yeah it's, it was very very weird I don't like watching myself <laughs> <laughs> but um I'm very happy with um the turnout and um and just very grateful to even be a part of this um project was Viv the first time it was showed um, publicly? No, they actually oh. premiered at um, Fantastic Fest in Austin. Oh, yes, yeah. Awesome. And actually, tonight they're premiering at um, the Brooklyn Horror Fest. Oh, cool! Which is sold oh, out wow. as well. Yeah. Okay. And uh, um, so you guys were at Viv. So how was that experience for you? Oh, it was lovely because I was uh, with my family and oh. friends as well. <laughs> so they got to see the movie with me. Um, but it was a lovely experience. Um, yeah, and Danishka flew in, Katie flew in, and so we had like a mini reunion with the cast. So oh. everyone's from different places across Canada? Yes, yeah. So the majority of the cast are from Toronto. So my, um, like, a couple of girls came from Toronto, and then Danishka, who's I believe in San Francisco now, flew in, and Sarah Canning's in Vancouver. So it was really nice to see everyone again. Wait, how long have you guys not like after, before Viv gone without seeing each other? Like, how long ago was the shooting? Exactly one year. Oh wow! wow. <laughs> yeah. What? So one year between shooting and releasing a movie. Like, when you're not in the movie industry, you really don't think about how long it actually takes. Mm-hmm. To, like all that post production. Yes. Like you think, oh, production is done. Great. <laughs> it will come out in like two months. And yeah. Like no, a year went by before yes. it actually came out. That's really it. It's kind of like, it's so nerve-wracking, I feel, that you're like, you'll kind of like, you'll do the movie, and then you'll kind of forget about it, and then you're like, oh, right, I did that thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You get like an email from them, they're like, hey, the movie's going to show. <laughs> and you're like, like, oh my god, I totally forgot. <laughs> that was a year ago. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know if I recognize myself a year ago, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. That's, yeah, crazy, mind-blowing. <laughs> And the other thing I want to know, because I feel that there's so much to unpack, it's such a complex world that is created with Level 16, so many little details and everything fits together so perfectly, but we only get to see such a small part of it. Is there plans for a sequel or a prequel or anything like to extend it? <laughs> I don't know. I honestly, I can't answer that. Um, that would be a really good question for Danishka, but I'd like to see that. You know, I like to see how the girls could navigate in the world without, you know, the knowledge of the world. Um, so 
it would be really fun, and I totally be on board for it. But that's a good question for Danishka. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't. <laughs> like, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> are there any Are there any uh, film works that you're doing right now? Or you? Yeah, there are some things in works that I can't really talk about, and oh, which I'm okay. really excited. But <laughs> just like a just yeah. a look out for those works. Yes. Ooh, interesting. Oh, I'm <laughs> excited. <laughs> Just like a little hint. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, you are kind of the are are the only because I, I didn't see the film. Uh, one of the only person of color in the film, or is yes. there? A, yes. Yeah. Well, actually, there no there. Um, there are a few girls actually, who are um, uh, women of color, which is really great. And yeah, it's um, for me. It was very surreal to you know be like a woman of color who got a lead role in a movie and something that's I I was really passionate about so I was very fortunate but yeah that's (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's it um representation really does matter and like seeing yeah women of color just like the screen it does matter like to identify yourself and especially like in sci-fi i think that's always like a really yeah uh, Yeah. a a little genre that doesn't get a lot of representation you know what really frustrates me about like when sci-fi is made into movies like a lot of it like for example hunger games i read the hunger games like way before they were turned into movies and throughout the entire book she is described as olive skinned and some people describe my skin tone as olive skin and I'm like, mm. cool, someone I can identify with. She is, like, my color because I never see people that are my color because, right, because I'm, like, this weird mixture somewhere in between. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm very mixed. So, like, olive color, right, cool. I can, like, see someone that kind of looks like me. And then they cast Jennifer Lawrence. I love Jennifer Lawrence, don't get me wrong, but at the same time. Yeah. I'm like, that's that's not olive. olive that's not olive The color. great thing about this was when I was um, cast, I realized, I'm like, it wasn't um, race specific, mm-hmm. and it it felt really good because you know as an Asian actor, you go out for these roles that are very like I don't know, uh, let's say like you go out for the nerd roles, you go out for the girls who know martial arts, and it was nice to just be a character, you know, with like a. N- not necessarily normal, but uh, yeah. uh, like <laughs> a regular girl, you know, like, um, so it was really nice. And I think it's really uplifting. And I, I've seen so many movements, um, you know, watching Crazy Rich Asians and um, other fi- films that are Asian um, leads um, based. It's, it's very, it's nice to see the change, but I also want to see more in the future. Yeah. yeah. Well, I have to see more. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this was uh, level sixteen with our new dear friend that we're very excited, uh, Celia. Um, Selena Martin. Selena Martin. Sorry, I'm no very worries. sorry. Uh, and she plays Sophia in the movie. So, and that's probably going to come out during the summer. So, yeah. put that on your like checklist for the summer. <laughs> like, it's a very early see. checklist, but it's a checklist nonetheless. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to do some ads and PSAs, and then we'll get right back to you with some interviews from our Jawbone segment. Okay, talk to you guys later. This Quarter Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theater, this quarter lives.
favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater, check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. CITR and Discorder, right? What? Yeah, you can get a show or help with live broadcasts and interview people at shows around the city and make ads and PSAs that play during the shows. Wow. Yeah, just email volunteer at CITR.ca and they can help you get started or just come into the station whenever. I will. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, you right back here at the Arts Report. We did a little kind of segment stuff with some music sorry about that uh, i was just enjoying talking with the people around here uh, we're going to do a segment with jawbone which is with uh jake clark as we all know and he's doing an interview with michael uh mark and a lightning review so that's going to be coming in right now and then we'll come back with some reviews of our own or just talk about some spooky things that we're excited for for halloween because i'm always prepared for halloween <laughs> okay talk to you guys in a bit you're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. You probably already knew that. You probably also already knew that this is The Jawbone with Jake Clark, where we interview assorted interesting people from the Vancouver area. And we've got a big one for you today. We have Michael Markowski in the studio with us, Canadian war artist and possibly space artist. <laughs> you will hear more on that later. Michael, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you. Now, firstly, to introduce you to our audience, the War Artist moniker. You've famously painted probably the only painting ever created while in supersonic flight from an F-18 fighter jet. Can you unpack that a little bit? How did that come about? Well, it's a a long story how I got uh, into the fighter plane, and we can kind of go back to the very, very beginning, if you like. When I was a kid growing up, uh, my father uh, was and still is a huge war buff. Like, he watches films on World War II, and we used to go to air shows together and look at airplanes, and so... I was already surrounded by uh, that kind of technology, and so it kind of seeped into my own interests. So I just thought it would be really neat to fly in one of those planes. And at some point, I went and tried to join the Air Cadets, and I had uh, an earring in my ear, and I was just observing, and the, the, yeah, the base commander or whatever started yelling at me, and I'm like, okay, maybe... <laughs> <laughs> this is not uh, my uh, milieu, so... I was briefly in Air Cadets, too. It's, okay. You know, that <laughs> cadets in general tend to be a pretty rigid yeah. structure. 
Yeah. I mean, that helps sometimes, but it's it's definitely a personality thing. Like, yeah. it's just non-copacetic for <laughs> a lot of circumstances. Yeah, I, I did not fit into that culture. And so I kind of went in a different direction. I became interested in visual art, and then I became an artist. And years later, I was having this dream in the middle of the night about, about myself standing on the surface of the moon making paintings. And then I woke up, thought, like, oh, well, that was pretty ridiculous. And then it just kind of stuck in my mind. I couldn't get it out. And I started thinking about it and realized that whole idea really isn't as absurd as it may seem at first. You know, we've sent doctors and engineers, scientists, and a whole lot of Air Force pilots and soldiers into space, but we have yet to send a professional artist or musician or a writer who's, you know, dedicated their lives to this creative field. And simultaneous to this, NASA and the Canadian Space Agencies, the European Space Agency have always had a, a PR problem of getting people excited enough into space to want to fund more research into space and their budgets are always being cut. I always thought that was just this glaring problem. Why would you not bring the very people who are employed to take the ordinary, make it extraordinary, and get them to help convey the magic of space? This is interesting because I've, I've heard a lot about this and it always reminds me of this Simpsons episode where they send Homer and Barney into space. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, oh, we have another space launch with a mathematician, a different kind of mathematician, and a statistician. Yeah. And then the Homer and Bart are jockeying for the remote, trying yeah. to tr- deliberately trying to change the channel. Yeah, You can see that. It, it's weird that we're at a point in history where we're like, oh, firing ourselves into the void beyond our planet. That's uninteresting. (laughs) Yeah, people have become uh, complacent for sure. I mean, I think it's amazing. I think there are a lot of other people who think it's amazing, but then you always have people saying like, well, we got to take care of Earth first, although those people maybe are not aware of how so many of our modern medical achievements are as a result of the space race, I guess. Well, it's a Cold War did a lot for technology on a lot of fronts. Yeah. What kind of achievements, though? Well, Aside from Tang. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, space ice cream and uh, there's space ice cream uh, well there used to be growing up there it was a big thing you used to get at Christmas a little, this little package of dried ice cream I don't know if that rings a bell now <laughs> Don't let my appearance fool you. I was born in 97. Okay. I actually don't know all the specific details of, you know, what uh, devices were created because of research into space. But suffice to say that a lot of the technology we have, you know, the phone that we carry in our pockets today is a result of, of scientists working very, very hard to try to, you know, get the technology so it can sit into a, a, a rocket or a satellite that's orbiting Earth rather than this, uh, you know, what in the 80s used to be these giant rooms full of computers. Oh, yeah, the future is now. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had this idea of going into space, and then I thought, like, well, how would an, an artist actually get into space? How, how, would we, how would I become that person? And this is where things take a very interesting turn. <laughs> yeah. So then I, th- I thought, okay, well, in order to get into space, I'm, and, and this is back in 2009 when I had this whole idea and, and this dream. And so I thought, okay, well, currently, since we are sending soldiers and stuff into space, then maybe I have to find some way of, of, of collaborating with the military. 
And for the past 100 years, Canada has a program called the Canadian Forces Artist Program, or otherwise known as the War Artist Program, where we've taken civilian artists and embedded them with the military. And everyone from most of the members of the Group of Seven, the landscape painters, to David Milne, and uh, I mean, there's dozens of, of amazing artists that, that have participated in the program. So I applied to, applied to it through the Department of Defense and was accepted to the program. And it was at the very tail end of the uh, war in Afghanistan and uh-huh. when I got into the program. So the idea is generally that they take you to the war zone to observe the Canadian troops in action and to kind of document and describe what that experience is like. And so I get a phone call saying, well, the troops are being withdrawn. What, do you, what would you like to do instead? And uh, they suggested a few different things, one of which would be to, there's a few soldiers stationed in the Mideast, uh, like literally like two or three in an office there. Uh, they have a tiny little Air Force base up at the North Pole and a few other things. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, that North Pole sounds really interesting because, you know, if I go to the moon, I'm going to need to learn how to paint in extreme conditions. So in 2012, I got to fly up to the North Pole. There's a little Canadian Air Force base up there called CFS Alert. And I spent two weeks there. I mean, literally, it's north of the geomagnetic North Pole and just a little bit south of the geographic North Pole. So kind of in between there. And compasses wouldn't work. Yeah, it is a little bit. It's, it's everything's kind of, yeah, you're kind of on the other end of the compass. And so I painted outside about 100 small landscape paintings in the minus 40 degree weather, which was a really tricky thing to do because it's cold. And so how do you paint? Uh, I tried using these big gloves and mitts that that they issue. Like there was a a whole outfit I was supposed to wear. And I was unable to have any dexterity in my hands. So I ended up using a bunch of wool socks, like three layers of wool socks. I could poke a paintbrush through the glove and then paint that way. And I, I made, like I said, 100 quick oil paintings because oil paint doesn't freeze. Yeah, I'm assuming you're not using watercolors. Yeah, not watercolors <laughs> wouldn't work. So then, so I made those and then I came back and throughout this whole process, I've been talking about my dream would be to uh, make some drawings inside of a fighter plane while we're going at the speed of sound. Because again, that would be another thing if I could demonstrate, I could go through fighter pilot training that would also lend some credibility to being able to do the same sort of thing in a rocket ship. And so that took another few years of, of convincing the military to buy into that idea because I think they thought that that was a little bit silly maybe, understandably at first. I think all of these ideas sound silly when you first hear them. And I put together a, a, a very thick package that went through all of their concerns and, and why how I could do it, what I was going to do with it, uh, how I would be able to describe this experience to millions of other Canadians who may never have this experience, and also for to document it for history. Because as you may know, this may be the last generation of, of fighter pilots as we know them. Now so many uh, drones, the, the drones yeah. are being flown by people in in you know bunkers somewhere in Las Vegas, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away from where the combat zone is actually. So the director of the National Library of Canada wrote a really complimentary letter having when they consulted him about this, thinking like, oh, actually, yeah, somebody should be up there documenting this experience. This is, you know, when it's gone, we'll say like, somebody should have been there. So 
I had that opportunity, and that was, I mean, life-changing. It was remarkable. It was incredible being in a plane. So you've taken fighter pilot training at this point. You've done a painting at the speed of sound. And then, uh, as I know it, when does Elon Musk enter into this story? Which is a great <laughs> question to ask about anything. <laughs> well, so I, uh, as I said, so 10 years ago, I had this whole idea of going to the moon and making artwork. And I, I set mm -hmm. myself a goal of uh, January 1st, 2030, of standing on the surface of the moon and making a painting. And so I, for the longest time, I've been pursuing this through kind of government agencies. And then... Got to say, based on the IPCC report, you may want to stay there. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if there's any Earth left when I come back. So I was thinking of doing this through the official government channels, NASA, Canadian Space Agency, et cetera. And over the course of the past 10 years, as you know, there's been a number, I mean, Jeff Bezos and Amazon and Elon Musk and SpaceX and... Uh, there's a number of other organizations, and all these private individuals have gotten interested and started building rockets and sending stuff to the space station. I mean, it's happening. So I was uh, out of town last week, and I had heard, you know, Elon Musk was going to make some announcement about related to the moon. And I got on an airplane, and when I got off the airplane, I my phone had blown up. Like, you know, you've got to get in touch with these guys. And I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. And so obviously it turns out... Uh, Musk and Yusaku uh, Maezawa had uh, come up with this plan to go to the moon and to not only do that, but, but to invite eight artists to go along with them on this journey. So immediately I started getting some contact from media too, because if you had done a little bit of a search on, or as you have, I, I know, but other people immediately sort of artist moon my name came up so it's kind of been a kind of crazy ride for the past few weeks with people wanting to learn a little bit more about this plan i have it's a fantastic plan like this is just a great <laughs> thing this is as a concept yeah. if this was a movie i would who wouldn't watch it yeah <laughs> but more importantly this is a fantastic as you said with the role of artists in culture mm -hmm. and in society especially with the possibility of space travel to that, I have this question, and I think yeah. I, th I think this is probably a question that, to an extent, comes from a doubt that I myself have had, but I think is very present, and especially now. There are a lot of people who are often given to ask some form of the question, what's the value of art? And sometimes they're asking about the literal value. There's a documentary at VIF right now called The Price of Everything that is fairly explicitly about that. I'm seeing that tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably same here. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's also, like, the moral or aesthetic or, or philosophical value of art, and that is also implicitly tied with the role of the artist. Mm. I'm wondering, what is your answer to that question? What is your answer to that doubt? Because you seem to have made a life out of this very, very interesting mixture of art and life that is currently going at a very rapid pace. Hmm. Wow, great question. Well... I mean, I've devoted my life to art, so I feel that art is sort of the, one of the most important things that that we can do in our culture. I mean, my father's a doctor, so I, you know, I, I think that there's a a role to play for for everyone. But I think artists are, as my my father even says, is the what we know of the ancient Egyptians or the Greeks and the Romans is their artwork, you know, like the, all of the culture 
that they created and and the science and ideas was captured through their art and their writing and the poetry and uh, uh, you know dance and, and theater so the artists are documenting the world that's going on around us and they're also inspiring the future and artists have for thousands of years have been the, the people that in our culture help lead the way or show what the the way could be for people especially in maybe darker times like maybe we're facing right now and i, I think we look to our artists to, for inspiration to help us kind of give maybe alternative ideas of how life could be particularly when we're not happy with the way things are it's easy to look at things and see it as being a little grim <laughs> to, to, to put it lightly in that in that contingency check out this is to our listeners. Check out Michael Markowski. You've got a fantastic website going. Is there any specific way we can help you get to space? Just, you know. Well, uh, as I said, my website, michaelmarkowski.com, um, is uh, where you can find me. Or you can tweet out. You know, I, I'm all over social media, Markowski Art, uh, M-A-R-K-O-W-S-K-Y, with a Y at the end. And the, the hashtags Markowski to the moon or paint on the moon. Mostly it's just about at this point getting the kind of the word out and kind of changing the conversation. So uh, as I've been talking about this for the past 10 years, I think slowly people are coming around to this is to the point where today, you know, a, a billionaire can go on the news and talk about this. And people are like, oh, OK, that actually makes sense. Versus 10 years ago when I was saying this, it was absurd. People thought I was, it was an April Fool's joke. And so shifting that mindset for myself, and I don't necessarily have to be the first person to go out there. If we start sending artists out there, I think we'll change dramatically the whole concept of what space is and the potential for it. At very least, it should be the idea for the next Alien movie. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a great, great idea. Michael, it was terrific to have you in the studio. Best of luck in these ventures. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. See you on the moon. So that was our fantastic interview with Michael Murkowski. Seriously, we got to get that man into space. Like, did did this not sell you on that? And if this didn't sell you on space, it should have ameliorated some degree of aesthetic doubt you may have. It certainly ameliorated some of mine, which made going to the price of everything at VIF, which is actually wrapped up this Friday. So this is a posthumous review. There'll be another one for Love and Bullets right after this. It makes that rather interesting. No less informative, though. Uh, You see, The Price of Everything is a documentary courtesy of Nathaniel Kahn. I don't want to go too in... Sorry, I gotta pause that. Cut a quick review of the VIF thing to do some ads and PSAs, but we'll go right back into that Jawbone segment talking about uh, that movie review. Yeah, so see you guys in a couple of minutes. Bye. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. to see what's below the surface? 
the UBC Aqua Society answers all your scuba diving needs. Learn to dive from leaders in Pacific Northwest diver training. Are you already a diver? We offer everything from gear to monthly dive trips to increasing your paddy training. Check us out on Facebook, online at DiveUBC.com, or check us out in the Nest, room number 3125. So we're going to go right back into that review of Jake Clark's uh, <coughs> review on the price of everything. So hope you enjoy. Depth into it because it's, you know, there's two things I want to focus on here. Those are two of the people in this, which is uh, Jer Jerry Saltz, who is a notable art critic. He has a very amusing sort of uh, summary of the art world, sort of a very amusing take on it. He looks and sounds exactly like you'd think. Very funny, very charming guy in this, and he gives a lot of insight into the art world. The other guy is a man named Larry Poons, who was an artist known for working in the early 60s. He was a minimalist, but he's evolved since then, and his evolution as an artist is considered to be part of his unmarketability. He's a, um, a small old man who looked, bears a distinct resemblance in appearance but not voice to Harry Dean Stanton, lives in upstate New York, and continues to paint, continues to work, and he's going through a resurgence, at least during the documentary. I hadn't actually heard of him before this, but everything he does in this documentary is delightful. It's hard to recap because it's not a performance, but he is a very very uh, entertaining person throughout and he gives this really interesting look at it because he's been in this world but also excluded from it for a long time and they're sort of accepting him again and he's like okay <laughs> he's sort of like okay i was here the whole time but i'm glad to be back it's he's a really it's really great to see and he, part of the reason for the harry dean stanton comparison was also the fact that he sings in this much like in the harry dean stanton documentary uh you don't need to watch that but you should watch this like it's, it's almost leonard cohen-ish song towards the end and it's quite interesting because he has a very frail voice but he's got this definite passion to him and when they talk about artistry he always brings up musicians he brings up beethoven several times mozart a few times and hank williams once which i found uh, really terrific and kind of probably cements that leonard cohen comparison because he was a huge hank williams fan too and he provided sort of this heart to it and it was really touching to see him coming up in the world and there's some there's some sinister aspects to it like there's the notion that art you know it is becoming more insular because more people are buying it and once it's on the private circuit it's priced out of museums except for, except for the getty and they can only buy one per year there is uh, another artist i'm going to i, I really hope i pronounce her name correctly nideka akunyili crosby uh, she's a nigerian artist living in la and she in this the one of the concerns of the film is a painting of hers which goes up for auction and it goes for about eight grand and i think she gets 50 percent of that and she says at one point that she's she's thrilled for the money and why wouldn't she be but she's also somewhat concerned with it not being in a museum and that's understandable and salts closes the film by saying this much is that is art important and he says about as important as religion and i i think that's correct i think that the role of art, this is something I'm especially given to consider, no matter how cynical or doubtful I feel about it, is in the same dimension as I see uh, religion or as mind-altering substances. They are things that, at very least, can, and 
This is not for all art, granted it's a matter of taste, as it is, in my opinion, for your taste in liquor or what have you. They will get you through the day, and they will they will help you along, and how genuine that is depends on you. But I really like that. It makes you feel... It makes it gives you a positive feeling on something that could be interpreted very negatively, and which does have negative consequences. Certainly, with the disparity of of income in and its effect on culture, but it's inspiring. And there's a lot of art being produced. Certainly, a very you learn a lot about 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 American art, which modern and modern art in particular, which is relevant today. So that was very interesting. If you can find it, The Price of Everything certainly worth a watch. And before we leave off, something unrelated, but I want to follow up on this. Love and Bullets. So Love and Bullets, I might have mentioned, is an Italian film. It is a musical. It is not the 1979 movie with Charles Bronson, Jill Ireland, and Rod Steiger. Although I highly suspect the people making it might have been aiming for that. Uh, it's a star-crossed love story uh, between these two lovers, uh, Fatima, played by Serena Rossi, who's she's terrific, and Chiro, Giampaolo Morelli, who, um, he, so he's the mobster, he has to kill her, she's a nurse, because she basically becomes privy to a scheme by the dawn to fake his death. There's a lot of movie references in this. The scheme is taken from a Bond movie, and the end brings that back around. It's also a musical. What a feeling from Flashdance is in this. And there's some songs that are very specific, that kind of hinder on a specific Italian reference. There's one called Robbed in Scampia, which Scampia is a neighborhood in Naples, which is very shady. And the joke is that tourists go there to be robbed because that's part of the experience. And I get that because... The tourist, the tourist trade in Italy is, as in many parts of the world where it's a huge source of income, it's something that's a little contentious. And I get that with Naples, because Naples has severe problems, and it seems like they're being purloined for amusement. But that's a point, that's a point where the reference is a little insular. I think the one major problem with this, there's two, well, actually, there's two major problems, but the one major problem throughout is Morelli. In all honesty, I thought his performance was very flat and very unappealing, and it actually didn't make the love story work, which is unfortunate because Rossi was very, very good. As were, the Don and his wife are fantastic in this. They're the, and I like that love story because she actually loves her husband and is trying to help him rather than, you know, the in all these crime stories, it's like the Don's wife is a trophy wife who, oh, a second he can get him out of the way, boom. No, it's, it's actually it's actually kind of touching and it's kind of cute. But Morelli is the hitman falling in love with the nurse. No, he's, he's not, he doesn't really work. And the other issue is that the movie is five minutes too long, which is the difference between ending on an endearing note and an annoying one. I would say it's an amusing movie. If you can find it on Netflix or something, check it out. Maybe not see it in the theater. The, the budget constraints kind of show in the wide shots and the choreography. The effects are also a little challenged by that. But it, it, it's funny. It's cute. They're going for something. The people who made it seem to have a good idea of what they're doing. And it's got a lot of fun references in it. So if you like that, well... You got the movie. So definitely check out The Price of Everything. Definitely try and get Michael Murkowski into space. Maybe check out Love and Bullets if you're looking to decompress after doing that. This has been The Jawbone. My name is Jake Clark. And over to who just played this. Thank you so much, Jake, for that uh, kind of sliding in interview. I know we talk about Halloween a lot on this. <laughs> this like every time like I come on, like oh, come at the on, very Halloween last the thing, I'm like, gotta talk about all the cool things that's happening for Halloween. Halloween is actually my Christmas. Like I don't like Christmas that much, but Halloween is like 
it's like it's the best <laughs> i already like Love. i have already booked my week for halloween like my the last week of october is already booked for me oh wow yeah. <laughs> oh wow oh wait actually the entirety of october so like this weekend i'm going to van dunson um garden because they have the lit garden so they light everything up with like spooky things and jack-o'-lanterns and all these cute little things oh yeah so it's uh it's a like 12.50 or something like that to go into the garden and like to me totally worth it because i love i'm just gonna take my camera and take so many pretty pictures you know like that's me that's uh, you <laughs> and then next week fright nights because i love get being scared fright night is the best night in my opinion i went to do their uh their halloween uh crap their haunted houses yeah 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 so yeah, yeah. good yeah. Yeah, I, that's what the thing is. Like, I'm just still debating which day I want to go because I went last year, but because it was so full, I ended up going on like four rides or something. And yeah, so, no, like, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. So I'm like, I'm trying to see if I can get do it during the week so that it's not as crowded, like to avoid everyone else. Also, it's it's cheaper during the week, which I'm like down for. That is, that is true. <laughs> and on Halloween night, to like top it all off, I'm watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Rio. Oh yeah, with the Rio. props and uh... with people playing it on the stage. And I forgot the name of the crew, but they are gonna be so awesome. And the shows are probably gonna sell out so soon. And I'm so grateful I already bought my tickets. Expensive, but totally worth it. Oh, no, Rio's doing, Rio does some really cool stuff they're doing. I know that they're doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. They're also doing, showing The Lost Boys, which was a vampire, uh, (laughs) a vampire movie back in the day, which is always, like, a really fun one um, that I I personally like. Um, God, I'm kind of jealous about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, because I'm like, I can't spend that much money. (laughs) But also, that sounds really cool. Do you know what Halloween costume you are wearing? For Rocky? Oh, oh, are you going to dress up for Rocky? Ooh, it depends. If I work that night, I don't have time to. If I don't work that night, I'm thinking I'm going to do, like, a broken doll or something because I don't have the costumes for Magenta or, um, what's her name? I forgot. Or, like, I'm definitely not dressing up as Janet because <laughs> I feel cold all this time and I'm really not down to wearing a bra and a... What do you call those skirts that go under skirts? Oh, 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 like kind of like a, uh, they're like fishnet sort of things. N- yeah, that thing. I'm really not down to wearing that in the middle of any, like. A garter belt. Uh, yeah. That's what they're called. I was just remembering. Just, it. like, I'm d- totally down to wear it when it's hot outside. But when it's cold at midnight, because this movie starts at midnight, I'm like, mm, it's going to be ha- so cold. <laughs> I'm going to freeze. Not happening. Yeah. That's why most of my Halloween costumes, I try to make sure that they're always, like, really, like, covered. Have, like, co- not covered, <laughs> but not covered because i got to be a little sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, at least, like, is able to uh, keep me warm yeah. throughout the night. Or no. I just stay in buildings the whole night. <laughs> No, actually, I don't know what I'm going to be this Halloween because I might not have something to go to for dress up. You know what's Because you can't dress up for Fright Nights, right? Like, you actually can't. Oh, yeah, you can't. So I can't dress up for that. The Van Dunson, I'm really not dressing up for that. And Rocky, it's like... You can so come. unless I go partying, 
<laughs> that's you what you're gonna <laughs> you can come to this is a plug because i'm a part of this club uh <laughs> sci-fi and fantasy is doing a halloween yes, party which is really that's fun awesome. they're showing um some movies as well uh i'm hoping because i'm a huge nerd uh i'm hoping for the scooby-doo which is one because that was one of the scary Scooby Doo's. <laughs> it was real. There's like some. There's like two scary, like honestly terrifying Scooby Doo uh, movies. One of them was the Witches one, which is really cool because it has the Hex Girls, which are the one. Well, okay, the, best. the one when I was little, like the one where they go to the island and the <gasps> monsters, like the live the action mo- one. Oh. Yeah. No, the live action one where they go into the island and the monsters, like, everyone kind of gets possessed. That one freaked me out as a kid. Like, freaked me out. That one totally freaked me out as well. But another one that, another, like, that one that, like, scared me, and I honestly, if I watch it even now, I will totally be terrified, is the one where they go to, like, Louisiana or something like that, and they have, they're trying to find uh, these missing men that are, that you learn are being, like, eaten by these cat monsters and it's scary it is horrifying like you're so scared throughout the whole thing it's honestly really funny <laughs> that's that's kind of creepy <laughs> I, no it's totally creepy but like it's also like if you tack like a terrifying like mystery or anything like that and then you're like and then the scooby-doo gang tries to find it, it like kind of makes it a little comical yeah, and like yeah. a little weird where you're just like what is scooby-doo doing here <laughs> Yeah. Um, back to the costume thing, actually. <laughs> okay, so the thing is, like, I've been planning. I usually plan with months in advance. But because this Halloween, I've been, like, it kind of been so crazy these last this past few months with classes and everything that I had a plan, but it kind of felt like my plan was, like, gone. Like, I have a plan to dress as, like, old school Harley Quinn. Because my boyfriend has a Joker, like old school Joker, like the purple suits, that that Joker. Oh yes. Yeah. So like, do old school those, or do Poison Ivy? And then I was like, I really want to do Poison Ivy, but at the same time, I'm like, do I want to be half naked, just covered in branches? Mm, <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> that is a really good point. Um, and. That's actually really funny that you, <laughs> you mentioned it because uh, I think that the ha- Harley Quinn's getting her own series <gasps> in DC. Oh, I'm so excited. I love yeah, her. Yeah, it looks really, She's it looks fabulous. really cool. So some more Halloween things that are happening. And like, if you're looking for Halloween like events, we as we like mentioned before, we had the Spooktober at the uh, uh, Improv Theater. At Granville on Granville yeah, Island. Yeah, on Granville Island that are doing some Halloween uh, like specials which is really really cool go to the cult one i don't know if you guys remember but we talked about um one where they're gonna it's an improv show and they're gonna treat it as if it's a reality tv following a cult right Mm-hmm. yeah either like try to make like a cult out of the things that you suggest and stuff like that it looks really really cool and then there's the uh radio show that we did a little um ad for in our last um, our last show that was really cool if you guys want to get a little listen to that yeah yeah well uh that's kind of the end of our time sadly uh we had a really good time talking um with like such awesome people honestly yeah. um and interesting people as well <laughs> um i'm interested in that plan to go to just 
to the moon. I mean, Mars, I think. <laughs> to go to where? Um, with uh, Michael. Oh, I forgot his last name, but he's like going on a spaceship. Wait, what? <laughs> just listen. Part. You'll just have to listen to the <laughs> podcast again. Um, but yeah, we'll be coming back here next Wednesday. You'll be able to hear our lovely little voices. And then we'll also give you some more kind of Halloween things that we're excited for. Because honestly, just October yeah. is just everything's going to be Halloween related in yeah. some way. Or at least I will talk about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming, guys. I Bye hope guys. to see you next Wednesday. Yeah. 5 to 6 p.m. <laughs> Bye. Coming for me when my body